What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary and every week, we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash bpshow. fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Donald Trump says it must have been a bunch of rogue killers. And then the Saudi government says, nah, we killed him. Yeah, no, we killed him. We dismembered him. You're wrong, Donald. What do you say? It gets weirder and weirder, folks. Here we go on a Tuesday, October 16. Hello, hello. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us. It is the Bill Press Show, and you are part of it, and welcome to it. As we come to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio on Capitol Hill with all the news of the day, such as it is from Washington. Not a lot of news out of Washington yesterday because uh, POTUS was on the road surveying hurricane damage down in Georgia and Florida. Meanwhile, Continuing a little spat with Elizabeth Warren over whether or not she does, in fact, have any Native American blood in her. It turns out that she does. uh, And Donald Trump now owes her, uh, if we remember correctly, yeah, a million dollars. And after accepting uh, on the number one story of the day, which continues to roil the entire world, after believing the Saudis when they denied killing uh, journalist Jamal, Jared, Jamal, Jamal, Jamal Khashoggi, uh, and then saying it must have been a bunch of rogue killers. Uh, the Saudis pulled the rug out from under Donald Trump yesterday when they said, in fact, it looks like they did kill him, uh, and they said it was just an interrogation gone wrong. Yeah, I'll say. All that to talk about. That's why it's so good to have you with us today as we join you online, on the radio, and on television, and look forward to hearing from you. Send us your comments on the news of the day at on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. And we will jump right into it with both feet, but first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. You know, it's a great time of year to go to New York City, Bill. The weather is a little mm. cooler. You can walk around for hours and hours and hours. It's really nice. 
that's not just the weather. This is the perfect time between summer and the Christmas yes. rush. Yes, yes, exactly. That's the best time Which, to go to New York. Before Thanksgiving. And if you want any more incentive to go to New York, how about this? This past weekend, New York marked its first weekend without a shooting in 25 years. Whoa. New York Police uh, I Department. I wish Chicago could say that. Yeah, right. New York New York Police Department Chief James O'Neill reported that they went Friday, Saturday, and Sunday with zero shootings and zero homicides. Again, that's the first time that's happened since 1993. Is that crazy? That is wild. No shootings. Yeah. No homicides. Everything is nice and quiet there in New York. So go to New York. Uh, and, and check it out. It's very, very safe. Good now. for Mayor de Blasio. Let's get another update on the Major League Baseball playoffs. Last night was game three for the Brewers and the Dodgers, and the Brewers look to be in pretty good control. They're Whoa. ahead of the series two games to one after they won last night. A shutout of the Dodgers, Whoa. four Whoa. to nothing. So they are cruising towards a World Series appearance, Bill. Your Dodgers. They need to win one more? No. No, uh, they need to win two, two more. They need to win two more. So, two I mean, more. it's still, I mean, this, yeah. it's not yeah. a runaway by any yeah. stretch. But right. They look very strong. I watched some of the game last night. It looked very, very good. Let's go to British Columbia where a, <laughs> the Ripley's Aquarium in British Columbia. People were there. They were paying attention to all of the wonderful things in the aquarium. There's a shark tank there. And then all of a sudden, a man stripped completely naked and took oh. a dive into the shark tank. He's fine, we should point out. He did not get eaten by the sharks. But there's people took plenty of video of a naked man swimming around with man-eating sharks Good in this Lord. aquarium. Now, well, somebody pointed out these sharks are pretty well fed. I was just going to say that, yeah. I mean, they're probably pretty fat and happy. Those yeah, sharks. their yeah. instincts aren't as sharp as they would be if they were in the wild. They don't need to eat every single thing. But still very dangerous. Still something that you should absolutely not do. So uh, he's fine. Well, I mean, looks yeah. to be some mental issues there, but uh, he survived. It could have been a lot worse. That could have been, uh, what a show. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, how about it? Yes, indeed. The Saudis say, no, we didn't mean to kill him. It was just an accident. And we just happened to have a bone saw with us to dismember his body after we accidentally killed him. Oh, my God. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Hello, hello, hello. Great to see you today. And here we are on the Bill Press Show this Tuesday, October 16. So good to have you with us. we got lots to talk about. It's going to be a wild ride for the next couple of hours with a good lineup of guests and, of course, with all of you we start out, as always, here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., reaching out to you online, on radio, and on television, online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, on the radio, on uh, the great WCPT out in Chicago, and on Indiana Talks all through the state of Indiana. And, of course, on television, we join you on Free Speech TV. With a great lineup of guests, as I mentioned today, uh, Michael Blake, the vice chair of the Democratic National Committee, will be joining us here in studio, um, uh, hopefully. <laughs> haven't heard from him yet. Uh, Alex Seitzwald, 
who covers politics for NBC News, uh, will be here with us uh, for the second hour together. And we're going to be joined, Alex and I want to find out about some of the key races around the country, one of the great organizations, new grassroots organizations that's popped up for this year. We've talked about them before. They are It's called Indivisible. They've done a great job of recruiting candidates, raising money for special races, particularly congressional races. Uh, and Maria Urbino, who's the political director for Indivisible, uh, will be joining us as well. The top story of the day and the biggest story of the day remain continues to be uh, the disappearance and now presumed murder and dismemberment of Saudi Arabian journalist uh, Jamal Khashoggi, who had moved to the United States uh, for safety reasons and was also a contributing columnist to the Washington Post. Uh, the latest on that. Meanwhile, uh, President and President Trump and Elizabeth Warren back and forth on uh, whether or not she, in fact, does have any Native American heritage in her family. And if so, uh, Donald Trump's uh, previously stated pledge to pay a million dollars, if she can prove it, to a charity of her choice. We find out that the deficit, you know, um, remember the day when Republicans used to care about the deficit? Uh, remember when Ronald Reagan even wanted a balanced budget amendment so that balanced budget had to be balanced and there would be zero deficit? Well, those days have come and gone. The latest numbers out of the Treasury Department show just the opposite, and not we not one Republican has expressed any concern about it or any regret about it or any intention to do anything uh, about it at all. Uh, and Donald Trump caught in another big lie when it comes to uh, stadium sizes <laughs> in Texas. There is nothing the man will not lie about. Uh, all of that coming up again. We want to hear from you and your comments on the news of the day on Twitter, uh, at BP Show. Uh, let's start with the latest on the Jamal Khashoggi disappearance. We know it was October 2nd. He hasn't been seen since then. That's when he walked into the Saudi Arabian consulate in Istanbul to get a document that he was re it was required by the Turkish government for him to uh, remarry uh, in Turkey. His fiance was waiting for him out front. It was just a routine stopping into his embassy or his consulate uh, to get a paper that showed that he had, in fact, been legally divorced in Saudi Arabia and therefore he could remarry in Turkey. He walked into that embassy. We have a photo of him walking into the embassy. Uh, he never left the embassy, never left it alive, at least. Uh, the Saudis originally said, remember, he left by a back door, and they didn't know what had happened to him. Then they said journalists could come search the embassy. They denied any knowledge of it, deny, 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 uh, denials which Donald Trump repeated. Uh, yesterday, uh, the New York Times, again, the headline this morning in the New York Times, this broke just late yesterday, the Saudis now plan to say uh, sometime today they're going to lay, lay out this new theory their new defense, the Saudis now plan to say that the journalist was killed by mistake in an inquiry. So they were interrogating him. Something went wrong, uh, and they killed him. Uh, not that he died of a heart attack, but they killed him and dismembered his body, and we don't know what happened after that to his body parts. Uh, supposedly yesterday, even before this, they said, okay, if you think he's here to the Turkish government, you can send your people in here to search 
our uh, consulate, which they did. A whole team of um, forensic experts from Turkey went in there and searched. But again, the evidence had been removed. Everything had been cleaned up. And then the Saudis later came through with this, uh, with this latest story. This is, of course, after, and what we've been talking about is what is stunning is, get this, okay, this is Saudi Arabia now, in effect, admitting that they killed Mr. Khashoggi only because he had written her former employee of the royal family in Saudi Arabia. As a journalist, he had written some critical stories about the royal family and, and their policies. Uh, he got was harassed inside of Saudi Arabia, which is why he left Saudi Arabia and then eventually came to the United States. They tried to lure him back to Saudi Arabia to saying, come on back and let's talk and we can make everything right. He didn't trust them, refused to do that, but he did walk into the consulate, which looks like was his big mistake. But the Saudis, remember, denied, denied, denied anything. And Donald Trump believed their denials. So here's, here's one of our strongest allies, right? Now admit that they killed the journalist in their consulate. Not only that, that they had a team of 15 people that interrogated him. And among the 15 people was an autopsy expert with a bone saw. Why would they send 15 people from Saudi Arabia to Istanbul to interrogate him, number one? There's so many questions. Number two, if they were sending a team to interrogate, why did they include an autopsy expert with a bone saw unless they planned ahead of time to kill him? And meanwhile, that just doesn't make any sense. Donald Trump, again, is just repeating all of their denials. First he said, well, they denied it. They denied it. We played that clip yesterday. The, and, and then yesterday morning when he was leaving to go down to Florida and Georgia uh, to inspect the, the hurricane damage, he comes up with this latest cockamamie theory that you know he heard from the king of Saudi Arabia. I don't want to get into his mind, but it sounded to me like maybe these could have been rogue killers. Who knows? We're going to try getting to the bottom of it very soon. But his was a flat denial. So he talks to the king. The king gives him this BS about rogue denials, and Donald Trump just goes right out and, and talks to the media about that. Uh, he, um, he also then comes up um, in, insisting that the king had given him a flat denial. The denial was not only a denial, it was a very firm denial. So we will check it all out. We'll get to the bottom of it. Yeah, there you go. Anything, any, any, I know Jake Tapper had fun with this yesterday on CNN. Uh, anything, anybody who's accused of anything, if they want to be sure that they're on Donald Trump's good side, all they have to do is deny it. Just like Donald Trump denied any sexual relations with any of those 20 women who have accused him of sexual assault. Just like Donald Trump denied paying off Stormy Daniels. Donald Trump denied paying off, um, Karen, Karen McDougal, uh, Roy Moore denied having anything to do with the young women. Brett Kavanaugh denied having anything to do with Christine Blasey Ford. The Turks or the Saudis deny knowing anything about Jamal Khashoggi. Donald Trump believes anybody's denials because he denies things so much himself. We'll see how that thing plays out. Meanwhile, again, it is stunning and shocking 
that the Trump administration has just such a so-what attitude about the murder of this journalist. And at this point, the Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, still plans on attending that great big economic summit, which the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia has called for later this month, even though almost every major American CEO has backed out of that conference and says, no, we're not going to show up with this bunch of murderers. We're going to take a quick break here from that to get an update on the latest in the midterms. It is three weeks from today. Can you believe it? That voters will go to the polls. A lot of excitement, a lot of energy around it. Uh, what's it look like for the Democratic Party? Nobody knows better than the vice chair of the DNC, Michael Blake, who joins us in the studio. Michael, it's good to see you. Great to be with you, Bill. How are you doing? How are things feeling? Are you feeling good? Incredibly well. You know, th- this is a great momentum that we have. Uh, we, we, we see a lot of progress uh, happening across the country. I, I was uh, traveling to Arizona and North Carolina this past weekend, in particular Kathy Manning in North Carolina and in Arizona with Kristen Sinema. Uh, you know, this is a position that we, we want to be in. Uh, before, I want to talk about some of those particular races in some of those key states. But there is a little breaking bit of breaking news this morning. I don't know whether you've caught up with it. Um, that Carter Page, uh, who is this um, sort of the zealot of the uh, Mueller investigation, he hasn't been charged with anything, but he keeps popping up on television all over the place. Carter Page has filed a lawsuit against the DNC saying you smeared his name. Uh, the DNC did, not you personally. I understand. Uh, when the DNC circulated, he claims that you circulated the famous Michael Steele dossier, and in that dossier it it uh, claims that Michael Carter Page mm-hmm. was one of the people in the Trump campaign who had some contacts with Russian authorities. I'm, frankly, I think the FBI has already yeah. ad- admitted that and yeah. said he was one of the first ones that they found out was you know, having contacts with, with different Russian officials. Yeah. Uh, any rate, uh, the, this, what's your, what's the DNC's reaction to this lawsuit? It was filed just yesterday. Yeah. I mean, this is like when you have someone who has crumbs on their chin, they're like, I didn't steal any cookies. So this is kind of silly uh, that Carter Page is, uh, is trying to make any kind of smear claims. It has been conveyed repeatedly by many law enforcement entities uh, of the clear connection and engagement that Carter Page had. Uh, it was ob- pretty obvious about his connections to Russia in many different ways. So uh, this just seems to like be a distraction to protect his own reputation uh, in that manner. And if we just get just focusing on the facts of the matter, it is still very clear um, that data was, was taken from us at the DNC. Uh, it is very clear that there was a connection that was happening in many different ways. You know, uh, our main thing is continue to let Bob Mueller move forward um, in the investigation. And, and Carter Page can continue to try to be a distraction, but you can't ignore the truth. I found it uh, amusing, sort of, that he says that you have totally destroyed his, uh, um, you've exposed him to public hatred, contempt, ridicule, and obloquy, whatever the hell that is. <laughs> you have injured him severely in all of his occupations basically ruined his career, and he is seeking damages of $75,000. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty again, comical, d- right? Like if, if, if all these things supposedly happen and then $75,000 is your claim, and you make, it makes you really wonder what's the real intent behind this uh, for him other than trying to be a distraction. Uh, and, and this is desperation, quite frankly. Doesn't sound to me like he feels that he's worth very yeah, much. Pretty much, right? <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, if you really feel someone you destroyed have you, my career for all the rest of my life. Yeah. I'm gonna, yeah. So I'm gonna sue you for seventy-five thousand yeah, dollars. But so. I mean, honestly, Bill, this is just another 
example of distractions uh, that we're seeing on the other side in, in, in many ways. Uh, I see this no different than what we see down in Georgia uh, in, in that manner. You know, when you, you, you're watching what's happening around the country, uh, it, it seems repeatedly that on the Republican side uh, with these candidates, um, distraction seems to be the approach. Yep. I mean, even in Arizona, you saw from the debate that they had on last night where uh, the, the audacity of trying to accuse cinema of treason I mean, again, it, the, the smear and the nonsense is not what people need right and now. What was that charge about? I just saw the headline: the treason, treason because she did not support the war in Iraq uh, because or, she wouldn't respond. Wasn't she, she was in the military. Yeah, it's just got. It's again, it's pretty ridiculous, and then wouldn't respond to a claim being made in the debate, um, in which Cinema uh, was very clear that I, I'm not going to stoop low to these smear tactics and engage in this manner. And so, you know, our our focus uh, still has been and always will be. You know, three weeks from today. Uh, we need a net 23 seats. We always remind people there are 25 seats the Republicans hold that, that Hillary Clinton uh, beat Donald Trump in. Uh, there's 119 seats in the country bill that are more competitive than what Connor Lamb's seat was. Uh, but also, we think about the other numbers. We need 17 legislative flips in the state house to flip eight chambers. And in the Senate, we feel very I confident mean, in many I, ways. I want to be sure I understand. Please. You need 17 state legislative flips. State legislative Flip, meaning houses of legislation. Uh, yes. Correct. So, in for, so, for example, in New York, uh, one net seat in the state Senate will give us the state Senate chamber back. Oh, wow. So uh, it is 17 seats, 17, not houses. Correct. Seats. 17 specific seats that are flipped around the country will flip eight legislative chambers. Whoa. Uh, and so when we think about the, the magnitude of three weeks from now, that, that's what we're focusing on. I mean, that's the reason we've all been crisscrossing the country. And again, I, I, we can't Not ignore to mention the governorships too. Hundred percent. And you think about these seats, you know, in in, in Wisconsin and in, in Michigan and Illinois, for example, in the Midwest, where we're all spending a lot of time. Uh, and think about the governor's seat in Georgia. Uh, it, it is quite frankly uh, almost surreal that Kemp is still holding on to Secretary of State's seat down there, uh, where he is on the record of conveying uh, why does he want to not have water registration move forward? Uh, because he sees it would help Democrats and he sees it would help the minority community. Uh, 53,000 voter registration forms are being held uh, by Brian Kemp. Uh, and it is, it's, it's reprehensible, quite frankly, because he understands what he's doing. So these are people that have registered to vote, but he is not putting them on the voter rolls. Yeah, intentionally. Because, because what they say is an exact match. Uh, and so if a hyphen is not there, if, if some part of punctuation is not there, even though it's pretty clear the intent of who the person is, and let's also be clear – in Georgia, you still need to have an, a, an ID in many different ways so you can clearly know who the person is. Uh, and, and so you're not moving forward because you just don't want more people of color, black people, people that are Democrats to be voting in an election where all polls show that it's tied, essentially. Uh, and so Stacey Abrams has been very clear and consistent in saying if Kemp wants to be objective, he would resign from secretary of state. I think anyone just regardless of where you feel, Democrat or Republican, if you were to say to someone, should you oversee the process for your own election, seems pretty uh, fair to say that, you know what, it's, you should probably step aside. Uh, and then when you take it a step further, why are you holding 53,000 voter registration forms where you understand the impact that would have? Uh, it's pretty uh, in inexcusable, and that's why we always encourage people to go to IowaVote.com so they can learn more information about how to protect their vote. Uh, so here's a headline that um, we don't see very often. Uh, this morning's New York Times. The headline is Democrats surge ahead of Republicans in fundraising for key races. It mentions that they took a look at um, 45 of the closest House races 
And in 32 of those 45 House races, Democrats had exceeded Republican fundraising by as much as 154 million to 108 million. Uh, I mean, I, I just, as, yeah. as all the time I've been involved in Democratic politics, we're always playing catch up to the Republicans. Yeah. And, the, but, and th- these are mainly, I think, small donors. Oh, very much so. When you, when you think about how uh, the grassroots is very excited about what's happening within our candidates and our candidacies, uh, we've, we've, something special is happening. You know, this is people that are going, you know, $100, $150, $50 in many different ways. You know, obviously, whether it be in the House or when you look at the Senate, you, you can't ignore what, you know, what Beto has done in Texas. You know, you raised $36 million in, in three months uh, without PAC money. Pretty remarkable in, in many different ways, uh, because I think, you know, again, we, we can't ignore the dynamics on the ground. Uh, we always remind people last year in Virginia, New Jersey, which we did incredibly well in both. Uh, the number one issue was Medicaid expansion, hands far and away. And still today, when you're looking at votes on the ground, issues on the ground, people are very concerned when it comes to health care and be able to keep their health care. And in that manner, you know what? They're going to pitch in $25. They're going to pitch $50. Uh, and our candidacies are, are showing that. And when you look across the country right now, um, we are excited about these candidacies on the ground uh, and the opportunity to be able to flip the House. What do you think the of the two? Uh, let's talk governors first. What do you think of the, uh, the best chances for uh, Democratic uh, picking up Democratic uh, governor. Well, I think we can't, you know, ignore down in Florida. You know, Andrew Gillum, who's a personal and dear friend, uh, has essentially been ahead in the polls post primary from you know in every different way, um, internally and externally in all aspects. Uh, and and his um, response to what has happened to Hurricane Michael, which obviously was a tragedy in many ways, um, you know, especially to Mexico Beach, uh, it ha- has shown why he's an exemplary candidate for governor, and we're excited about that. Uh, and then you, you mentioned Stacey Abrams in Stacey Georgia. Stacey in Georgia, of course. I mean, that, that race is essentially tied, but we feel very good about Stacey winning that race. Uh, when you think about uh, the, the history of you know voter suppression that happens in the South uh, and how she is overcoming that given what's happening, we have to be excited about that. Uh, and then, Bill, I think I would combine it when you look at the Midwest. You know, when you, when you see, you know, Tony in Wisconsin, when you see Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, I mean, we feel very good about these races. Uh, JB in Illinois, you know, all signs are pointing to a, a pretty sizable and remarkable win, probably getting all three, um, if we turn out people to vote. Yeah, Michigan, Wisconsin, and in uh, Illinois, and Illinois. You know, yeah. we, so we have a chance, and, and not saying we don't have chances in other places, but you see uh, the 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 trajectory. Uh, those are places that are very favorable to us right now, and have been so pretty much post election, post primary, uh, and going in. When you look at a lot of these numbers, if you're seeing that the incumbents are below fifty percent still. Uh, and we're three weeks out, uh, I would rather be on the Democratic side where the energy is than the Republican incumbents on the other side. Uh, you mentioned the energy. That is a big factor this year, isn't it? Across the board. Everywhere. I mean, we've seen, I, I just saw a, a, a poll yesterday, 81% of Democrats say they're absolutely certain to get out and vote. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, you, you, uh, you, you, can't, you can't be surprised when you've had so many different topics attack the Democratic base and, and objective, fair-minded Americans in this manner, you know, uh, whether if you're if you're black and you're thinking about criminal justice reform in, a, in the economy, whether if you're a Latino and you see what's happening with immigration, 
uh, whether if you're Muslim and obviously the travel ban, if you're a woman and you had to watch what just happened with Kavanaugh, uh, if you're LGBTQ and you see the discriminatory policies, if you're a student and we'll talk about student loans, uh, everything is pointing to there's a reason to go out to vote. Uh, and so we created this website, IWillVote.com, because we want people to have that mindset and that framing of, you know, I am very clear, I'm going to go vote. And, and I will vote and I'm going to have this information here so I can be involved in that manner and, and be prepared. You know, I would say uh, I've been to I think 32 states since <laughs> we've been vice chair uh, and the, the energy is palpable everywhere uh, from in Utah uh, where Ben McAdams is running uh, against Mia Love uh, to what we're seeing again in, in, the, in the southwest where it's not just congressional races. It's all across the board. You know, January Contreras has a chance to be attorney general. Uh, to black attorney generals across the country uh, where you have in, in Florida uh, and in D.C. and in New York and in, in Nevada. Uh, we are seeing clear energy on the ground. Uh, and again, three weeks out, I, I would rather be us than them because I think we're showing a very different vision for the country. We talked about some of the governor's races in the Senate races. Uh, we know what the big ones are. Which ones do you feel most uh you know, bullish about, if you will. Well, I mean, we, we, we focus pretty heavily on about, you know, four to five of them, which will kind of get you over the top, right? You obviously have to hold um, all of them wherever possible, and, and it's clear, uh, you know, Heidi in North Dakota and then Nelson in Florida uh, are, are the two where you have to make it a point to do everything humanly possible to be protecting them. Uh, Heidi demonstrated real leadership uh, in deciding she wasn't going to vote for Kavanaugh. And, you know, it is our job to all, you know, have her back now uh, on the other side in terms of on the offense. Uh, you look at Nevada with Jackie Rosen, uh, all signs are pointing to that's essentially a tied race. And again, if you're three weeks out and you're in the incumbent and you're not at 50 percent, mm-hmm. uh, that means people are, are open to the, the challenger. Uh, in, in, in Nevada, not in Nevada, in Arizona, you have cinema uh, where we're at this past weekend. Senator Kamala Harris and I were both there on, on Friday night. Uh, well, cinema has been up in the polls. And if you're constantly being attacked the way Kirsten is, then I think that's a sign that momentum is on her side. Uh, when you see uh, the other opportunities, obviously we pay attention to Tennessee with Bredesen, uh, where essentially that race has gone back and forth in the last two to three weeks. But it's a race where he was up pretty consistently. And as the former governor, obviously has created an opportunity. Uh, and then you have other spaces where there are opportunities that people may not be looking at uh, short term and long term. Of course, Texas, you can't ignore what Beto is doing. Uh, you know, Cruz has never clipped over 50 percent in any consistent polls. Beto's getting 55,000 person crowds. Uh, and then you look at, you know, uh, Mississippi uh, with Mike Espy, uh, who has been ahead in the polls thus far. And that will probably go to a runoff on November 27th. Hmm. Uh, yeah, you don't, don't hear much about Mississippi. Exactly. Espy uh, was. He was a former statewide. He's been yeah, engaged with agriculture in many different wasn't ways. Wasn't he in uh, the Clinton administration? He was in administration uh, yeah. in a senior role. Uh, and so that that will probably go to a runoff uh, itself. Uh, but the fact that we're even engaging and talking about Mississippi three weeks three, for midterm election uh, demonstrates the momentum we see on our side. Uh, Vice President Joe Biden was in Indiana this week with um, or maybe over the weekend with Joe Donnelly, yep. uh, which looks pretty strong. We were worried about that one in the beginning. Feeling but. good. I was out there uh, last Saturday uh, because uh, myself, this, not this, the one prior to, uh, because Senator Donnelly and Senator Doug Jones were supposed to be out there as well. Mm-hmm. They had their uh, Black Caucus, statewide Black Caucus dinner, uh, but that was the day of the vote. Uh, and so we weren't able to all get out there in that manner. Uh, they weren't able to get there in that manner. Mm-hmm. And the energy on the ground, Bill, was palpable 
of the pride that voters on the ground said, you know what, we appreciate that you took this stand. Uh, and, and we feel very good about Indiana. I always remind people, you know, Indiana is a state um, that, you know, obviously voted for Barack Obama in 2008. You know, there, there, there is the energy that is there when you organize. Uh, and I do feel that he's going to be going to be fine. Do, do you find uh, in your travels, because it's only been a week, believe it or not, uh, with the Kavanaugh taking his place on the court, um, Republicans, and particularly starting with Donald Trump, claim that the Kavanaugh thing is going to be a big plus for Republicans. It's really going to, I mean, Mitch McConnell saying it's going to invigorate their base. Uh, what's what, what are you finding on the ground? What are you hearing? So, you know, I, I, I maybe they need to have Obamacare so they can actually get some help on what's actually <laughs> going on uh, on the ground in many ways. You know, I, I think the notion of it will motivate their base. Okay. Uh, your base essentially gets you to what, 42, 44, right? I mean, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't bring you home. Uh, you know, Kavanaugh was underwater in all polling of what Americans felt. They did not feel this issue before. They didn't feel like it was a fair investigation. Every yeah. poll that I have seen shows that Brett Kavanaugh was the most unpopular Supreme Court yeah. nominee in the last 50, 60 years. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear and obvious. So, so th- there. Their approach, and, and and we obviously it varies on what community you're in, was it was more important to get Brett Kavanaugh than to listen to the country. It was more important to get Brett Kavanaugh than to have a thorough FBI investigation. It was more important to get Brett Kavanaugh than to actually believe women. And we can't uh, dismiss uh, when, when Senator Collins went on CNN afterwards where she was directly asked, did you believe Dr. Ford and when Dr. Ford conveyed about Brett Kavanaugh? And she said, I do not believe that it was Brett Kavanaugh. So you are then saying you don't believe Dr. Ford. You know, mm-hmm. So it, it, it is pretty inexcusable to us. And so what we're seeing on the ground, uh, you know, again, when, when I was in Indiana, the night of the vote, uh, and you had people that without Donnelly in the room gave him a standing ovation out of pride for what he did in taking that stand, uh, I would rather be on that side. And it's it's bigger than the votes. Uh, it's just about humanity. You know, it's about sending a message to, to women that we respect you, we we value you, uh, and, and we're listening to you, and, and which I think has been pretty clear. You know, women have been being win, are winning all across the country, and, and women are clearly aligning with the Democratic uh, Party, given what's been happening. So we've talked to governor's races, Senate races, and the House looks the best of all, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, again, not taking anything for granted. There's three weeks to go. Anything could happen. But uh, every one of the major people, whether it's Politico or or Charlie Cook or, you know, the, the, name them, inside elections, they, they they all keep putting more and more seats, either lean Democrat or toss-up from safe Republican. Absolutely. That that seems certainly to be the momentum. Every Everywhere. I mean, I, I was in... Uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, this past uh, Sunday, uh, campaigning. Uh, you get around, dude. Oh, I, mean, I, I, I have some serious frequent flyer miles <laughs> going on. Uh, you know, a lot of driving, a lot of you know, you know, trains, planes, and automobiles. Uh, you know, while still being a state assembly member in New York and and still preparing for my own um, upcoming Are races. Are you a state as well. assembly member? Yeah, I'm in my my second term I'm on the ballot for our third term. We'll, we'll, we'll win again, and then we're preparing for some citywide next steps. Representing um, right now. what district? South Bronx, 79th district in the South Bronx. Yeah. Uh, so, 
you know, we, we crisscross and, and, and juggle the two, uh, but we, it's necessary, you know. Uh, Kathy Manning is in a seat uh, that the, the Republican incumbent down there had won uh, essentially by 12 points before. Uh, Trump essentially won it by near double digits, uh, and it's, it's tied. I mean, these are seats that we shouldn't even be talking about in many different ways, and, and we consistently are seeing the opportunities that exist. And when you think about the pure numbers of it, when you look at California, where you have potentially seven seats, yeah. you look at Pennsylvania, where you have potentially five seats, you look at the state of New York, people always think about New York and think it's a liberal bastion across the board. We probably have five chances to flip seats in the state of New York right now. Uh, we could have a pretty major night if we do what we need to do right now. Yeah. It's looking good. Before we let you go, Assemblyman, um, uh, from the Bronx, we had an interesting story at the very top of the news, uh, Peter, of uh, about New York City. Yeah, this past uh, uh, weekend there were no past weekend there were no shootings and no homicides in New York for the first weekend in twenty five years since nineteen ninety three. That's amazing. Pretty, it's it's a blessing, uh, and and we can't ignore that. Uh, but we we also does this surprise you? Uh, no, I mean, look, you 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 always wonder what kind of uh, activities could be happening. Uh, and, and obviously so we feel good about that. Something is working right, right, this, in terms of police. Well, there's definitely some good progress in terms of community and policing, um, yeah. yes, uh, and, and community relations. But, you know, simultaneously you had uh, the Proud Boys, which essentially was a white supremacist gang, uh, jumping people on, on, in the community. Massive fight that broke out uh, in the community. And even though officers were there, they didn't arrest them. So, uh, yes, we, we obviously are grateful for, for, for life. Um, we are grateful for, you know, no shootings. Uh, but when we also see that violence is still occurring, you know, violence, wherever it may be, is, is still uh, important for us to be attentive to. Yeah. That, that's a record that the um, like city of Chicago, for example, would be happy to see any weekend well, like you know, that. You know, the, the South Side is, is a, a place I've spent a lot of time in, and it's very, very sad what's happening there. But, you know, I always say b- before you talk about the, the handgun and the bullet, there's things in the community that have to be addressed in the first place. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So good to see you. Thanks so much for coming in Great and you, for your good work. Uh, you got to get back on the road here. We got three more weeks to go. You're going to be one pi- tired man when yeah. it's all over. But no, I think no one happy. Weary. But I think one happy man too. Right? Very much so. Uh, you can follow. We mentioned that always. Uh, anybody, anytime we have any of our friends in from the DNC, uh, Democrats.org. Uh, but Michael Blake also mentions the new website, IWillVote.com. Right. That's right. IWillVote.com. Check that out for any information on uh, your polling place and your time to register and all that kind of good stuff. We'll take a quick break. We'll back and catch you up to date on all the rest of the news of the day. This is the Bill Press Show. Uh, yes, indeed. Here we go on a Tuesday, October 16. Uh, and uh, more than ever, when you follow this Khashoggi scandal, I mean, horrible story about this journalist. Now we know killed and dismembered in the Saudi consulate in Istanbul, and Donald Trump doesn't do anything about it and believes the Saudis' denials and repeats the Saudis' claims of rogue killers. One more reason why Trump must go. Remind you, you got to get it, my latest book, Trump Must Go, the top 100 reasons to dump Trump and one to keep him. Uh, You can catch up with that uh, at uh, your local bookstore. Or, or I've seen it in lots of lots of bookstores. Of course, it's out there, or anywhere you buy books uh, online. 
either Barnes & Noble or Amazon.com, whatever, but catch up with it. Trump must go and add your own reasons. Uh, we've been uh, at it here for about 45 minutes, and uh, we thank you for your comments. Let's catch up on them, Peter. Yes, indeed. Lots of comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Uh, let's go to Fred Wilder with a very bleak comment. Uh, In all my years on this planet, I have rarely seen us do the right thing as a nation. I have no expectation that this time is different. We are a cruel, violent, and greedy nation established on the basis of slavery, genocide, and hypocrisy that gives pain for fun and profit since 1607. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. <laughs> Uh, I don't have that such a – not even Howard Zinn has that bleak right. a picture of American democracy. But sometimes we do get things right, but it, often we do get things wrong. A lot of wrong. times we don't. And a lot now, of times we don't. you know, when you sort of look the other way, when one of your big allies murders a journalist and yeah. admits that they murdered the journalist – uh, that's the time when you should show a little outrage. Well, on that comment about uh, the situation going on with Jamal Khashoggi, Resistant Stevie says, yes, one of those interrogations with a handy bone saw like people do. Yeah. yeah. Keiji says, was this an accidental dismemberment as well? Uh, we also are going to talk more about the budget. You mentioned the budget at the top of the show and how it is ballooned. Phil says the budget deficit doubled under Ronald Reagan as defense <laughs> spending surged. He talked a good game, but he didn't give a rat's ass about deficits. That is correct. They rolled up the biggest deficits in history up to that point. Yeah, and one other comment on uh, the Saudi Arabia situation from our man Romain says, so the Saudi king denies knowing anything about the murder and Fat Donnie Two Scoops believes him. I love Romain's name for Donald Trump, Fat Donnie Two Scoops. Uh, this is also a king who effectively no longer running the country as his son MBS is running the show and has been shown to be ruthless. One other comment on that from uh, Tom. He says, Trump believes the strong denial by the king. This is the sign of a pathological liar. They believe strong denials by other pathological liars. Because they do so many d d denials themselves. Exactly. If you have a comment on any topic at any time, you know where to find us. It's on Twitter, at BP Show. Yeah. Yeah. Donald Trump would say of Charles Manson, he denies it. Yeah. So therefore... It can't have happened because the person denies it. Uh, by the way, I don't know whether you saw this, but uh, MBS, you know, the Mohammed, Mohammed bin Salman, the uh, the crown prince, uh, who is the, in, in effect, the, the, de facto, the de facto ruler of uh, Saudi Arabia today because his father, the king, is uh, uh, a little past his prime, shall we say. Um, MBS, uh, some American journalists are now referring to him under a different name, uh, MBS, Mr. Bonesaw. Oh, geez, yeah. MBS, right. Mr. Bonesaw, right. There is some other news uh, that uh, we uh, need to bring you up to date on. Uh, yes, the latest. So Donald Trump spent, first of all, he has spent a lot of the last year and a half um, making fun of Elizabeth Warren uh, and attacking Elizabeth Warren uh, and accusing her of lying. This started actually during the 2016 campaign of lying about her uh, ethnic um, ethnicity. Uh, she famously uh, and correctly, it turns out, when she was applying for a position at Harvard, noted that she was partly Native American. Didn't say she was a Native American, but she had some Native American blood in, in her family. Uh, and uh, Donald Trump has been making fun of her for the last year and a half about this. And he suggested at one time that she should have a DNA test, and if she did, 
Uh, he actually said he would give her a million dollars, give a million dollars to the charity of her choice. Well, um, the timing may not have been the most precipitous, uh, propitious for Democrats, but Elizabeth Warren, who certainly is thinking about a 2020 run, uh, went out and did have a DNA test done by a man by the name of Carlos Bustamante. I think he's at Stanford, he's California, whatever you call those people who do those kinds of things. And it turned out 1,000% accurate. Uh, Mr. Bustamante said the chance, the chances that it would be off are like one in a million. You know, that's how accurate it is. And it shows that actually her ancestry, uh, Native American, goes back to six to ten generations. Basically, they were there when Columbus arrived. Sounds like it. Uh, at any rate, uh, Donald Trump. Uh, so now she is saying to, to Donald Trump, OK, come on, pay up, pay up. Donald Trump, first of all, says, I never said that. No, no, no. I never said that at all. Who cares? I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But but first of all, who cares? He cares. Clearly he cares. Nobody else cares. He cares. He's been making a big deal of this for the last two years. So, yes, he cares. She's called his bluff. He says, I didn't say that. All right. Here's the deal. Let's go back in the time machine, not that far ago, to maybe four July. months ago? July. Yeah, not even four months ago. Yeah, July this year, July the 5th, 2018. Here he is in front of some big rally there, some crowd of you know stupid Trump supporters who believe every word he says. Listen very carefully, Donald Trump pledging a million dollars. We will take that little kit and say, but we have to do it gently because we're in the Me Too generation, so we have to be very gentle. That's a cheap joke. And we will yeah, very yeah. gently take that kit and we will slowly toss it, hoping it doesn't hit her and injure her arm, even though it only weighs probably two ounces. And we will say, I will give you a million dollars to your favorite charity. Uh, Paid for by Trump. Oh. If you take the test and it shows you're an Indian, you know. But, you know, he just loves to mock women. Yeah, he does. Loves to make fun of women. This whole thing and the Me Too movement. You have to be gentle, the whole thing, right? And so, um, before I ask him, by the way, you hear him clearly say, I will give a million dollars to charity of her choice, paid for by Trump, right? If she'll take this test. So a reporter followed up and said, so do you think you owe her an apology? Really? How much? One, one thousand? Do you owe her an no, apology? Is, no, what about I'm the sorry. money that I you... owe her. She owes the country an apology. She owes the country an apology? I mean, what's that all about, right? Uh, and, and so the, then, here he is now. He's caught in a lie. You heard him say it. Charity of her choice, million dollars. He's caught in a lie. So what does he do? He moves the goalpost now and says, no, what I really meant was, here he goes. If she gets the nomination in a debate where I was going to have her tested, I'll only do it if I can test her personally. Oh. Okay, that oh. will not be something I enjoy doing either. Oh, oh, so now he has to administer the test personally. <laughs> just picture him with like. Dr. Donald. Yeah, yeah, put on the he's doctor. Got his, <laughs> he shows up with this little black bag, right? Right. He opens it up and he's got his syringe. I don't know, whatever you need. I, I, that's the whole. 
God, it's so stupid. Right? It, this whole thing is the dumbest thing. It is. That it totally I think we've is. seen yet. By the way. From Trump. Yeah. I, and, you know, I'm not really happy with Elizabeth Warren either. I mean, making a whole big deal of this right now. Come on. Focus on the midterm elections, right? I mean, she, she's so eager. It's, but the thing of it is, she's been doing a great job helping candidates around the country. I just wish she would focused on that. I know she wants to run in 2020, and God bless her. She'd, she'd be great. But uh, focus on focus on these getting all the, helping these other Democrats get elected first, and then deal with this thing. You know what it reminds me of, though. But and I don't understand this. In a in a sense, Donald Trump has a capacity of getting under people's skins. This is like he made such a big deal of Barack Obama's birth certificate, and kept it up to the point where Barack Obama actually sent somebody over to Hawaii and came back with a damn birth certificate. I was in the White House press briefing room when they came in and, and handed them copies out. But, like, you know, here's the and thing. And here he keeps on her all this time, and finally she says, damn it, I'll have a DNA test. But he, here's the thing. In the case of Obama, he did that, and he released his birth certificate. And you know what? It didn't matter. The people who think that Barack Obama was or thought that Obama was born in Kenya still think he was born in Kenya. And Donald so, Trump? Didn't believe it anyhow. He no. didn't change his mind. No. I mean, if he didn't change it, he kept it up until he started running for president. Yeah. And it'll be the same thing with Elizabeth Warren. Totally. He's not going to totally. stop making totally. fun of her and calling no. her Pocahontas. So I think he's not going to stop. In he, fact, last night, Tucker Carlson called her Liawatha. It's like he, that she's lying. Oh, Liawatha. Liawatha. Hiawatha, right? Like, it's, they, oh, they, they're I just coming it. up with more, air quotes, creative names. For they, they just—it doesn't matter. None of this matters. If Elizabeth Warren thinks that by putting this out, she's going to like win the war against, I think they ought to just ignore these taunts by Donald. It's Trump. tough, right? Like but it's I tough. Know it's tough too, but you know because you don't—it doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't get you anywhere, right? In the meantime, it is a big distraction from what we, ought to, what we ought to be focusing on, which is focusing on winning the elections. I just want to repeat: I thought a really good sign. As I mentioned with uh, Michael Blake, our last guest, to see in the in the in the in the New York Times this morning that Democrats are have far outpaced Republicans in their fundraising this year in looking at fifty forty five rather key House races thirty in thirty two of them the Democrats have out, in every one of them the Democrats have outpaced but in thirty two out of forty five. Uh, the re- Democrats have outpaced their Republicans by a total margin of 154 million to 108 million, and that's in money raised since November 2016. So there is a lot of excitement, there is a lot of support, and people are showing that support by turning out to vote in the primaries, by registering to vote, uh, by planning to vote in the general election by making phone calls, by walking door to door, and also by writing checks. Even as little as five, five bucks, uh, all those contributions add up, as we learned from uh, Bernie Bernie Sanders. Meanwhile, um, you know, I, I feel great, right? But I want to show you this sort of, I feel suddenly that um, a little old today because I am old enough to remember I'm old enough to remember when Republicans cared about budget deficits. And actually, that was only like maybe two years ago when Barack Obama was president. And they were still 
complaining about the deficit, how big it was, and how we had to do something about it, and how Barack Obama hadn't done enough about it, uh, that, that, blah, 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 right? Well, figures came out yesterday from the uh, Department of Treasury. The federal budget to de- budget deficit today is the biggest it has been in the last six years. It has gone up 17% under Donald Trump in his first fiscal year. His first fiscal year, the budget deficit went up 17%. It is now $779 billion. Okay, you know what Donald Trump said? About a million dollars to Elizabeth Warren's favorite charity? Listen to me. I will give you a million dollars to your favorite charity if one Republican senator says anything negative about this budget deficit today. (laughs) If one Republican senator comes out and says, this is terrible, we have to do something about this, we have to maybe raise taxes or do anything about the budget deficit, if they give one rat's ass of concern about the budget deficit, a million dollars to your favorite charity. They are such hypocrites on this issue. And, of course, uh, the Treasury Department has to admit, why did the budget deficit suddenly shoot up so high? Because of the Trump tax cuts. Because the Trump tax cuts to the wealthiest of Americans means that we're getting that much less money in. But, by the way, remember, the argument was, which a lot of brain-dead Americans fell for, they always make the same argument, and it never happens. Oh, if we cut taxes, then the economy will just boom, and there'll be all that more money coming in, and so it will actually not contribute to the deficit. It will shrink the deficit. They make that argument. George Bush made it. Ronald Reagan made it. Donald Trump made it, and there are suckers that fall for it every time, and it never happens. And here we are yet again, Lucy and the pumpkin. They cut taxes for the wealthiest of Americans. Less money is coming in. The budget deficit goes up and up and up and up. And here we are, the biggest in six years. Listen, I mean, you remember all the voices we heard while Barack Obama oh, was president God. about the deficit? Oh, God. Constantly. Yeah. All right. Republicans, yeah. right? And By as way, you put it out, Reagan, George W. Bush— now Donald Trump, all have had giant deficits. Yeah. Oh, giant. Yeah. Giant. The biggest, the biggest, the biggest. The only, maybe we remind ourselves, the only president who actually balanced the budget in modern times is Bill Clinton. He did it. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not a budget deficit hawk. I mean, I think I have a mortgage on our house here in Washington, D.C. There's... There's nothing wrong with having some controllable debt, right? I mean, that that's having a budget deficit uh, is not the worst thing that could happen to a country. It should should be in control, maybe you know, not that big. But uh, the idea that there has to always be a balanced budget, I've never I've never subscribed to that. But the fact is, you can't have that position only you know some years when the opposition party is in charge of the White House and then change your position 180 degrees when your party happens to be in charge of the White House. And the first time we saw that recently was with uh, George W. Bush and Dick Cheney. Remember who Dick Cheney said budget deficits don't matter. After Republicans had campaigned for years on the fact that we have to balance the budget. Uh, A couple of other things in the news today. Um, 
Stormy Daniels had a big loss yesterday, she and Michael Avenatti. She had sued the president for defamation, saying he defamed her when, she, when he called her a liar, that he did not have this affair with her. A federal judge yesterday dismissed that lawsuit, uh, which sounds like good news for Donald Trump, which it is. But uh, let's remind you and remind Donald Trump that there's still two lawsuits pending against Donald Trump. One, another one by Stormy Daniels, who's trying to get out from that non-disclosure agreement. And, of course, the, the lawsuit up in New York State filed by Summer Zervos that continues to percolate along. And she actually has a judge's ruling that the president has to give her a deposition, her lawyer's a deposition, at least uh, in writing, not yet in person. Well, so much going on today, so much to talk about. Alex Seitzwald joins us next from NBC News. Take a look at the this politics of the is day. the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Donald Trump says that was probably a bunch of rogue killers. And then the Saudis say, no, we killed him. Yeah. And dismembered him. Just an accident. Oh, my God. What do you say, everybody? It is a Tuesday, October 16th. Uh, we're starting to find out maybe what really happened inside the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. That and a whole lot more to talk about here on this Tuesday edition of the Bill Press Show. Welcome to the program. It's so good to see you, and uh, we appreciate your joining us, whether you're joining us online, on the radio, or on television, all across this great land of ours. Uh, yes, the uh, big number one story continues to be uh, the disappearance and uh, uh, apparent murder of Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Uh, Donald Trump and Elizabeth Warren duking it out yesterday on whether or not he does owe her a million dollars now that she has proved her Native American uh, heritage. And the budget deficit, the largest in the last six years, went up 17%. The deficit up 17% under Donald Trump in his first fiscal year. Meanwhile, we are three weeks today from the midterm elections. Alex Seitzwald from NBC News is here uh, to tell us all about it and what things look like three weeks out. Hello, Alex. Good, Good to morning, see you. Bill. Thanks for having me. Surprised you're not on the road here. There's so many important races to cover. You but. caught me between uh, trips here. So I was all just right. out in Texas and Virginia, and I'll be ah. back on the road uh, later this week. All right. Oh, there's a lot of important races there, too, uh, in both both spots to hear about. Uh, so and we want to hear from you as well. Send us your comments on Twitter. Uh, as always, at BP Show on Twitter, at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Hi, right, Peter. Just a couple of other stories making news. So yesterday we talked about Donald Trump and his uh, wild interview on 60 Minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we watched it. 
Turns out not a ton of other people watched it. The ratings really? are in, and according to Deadline, uh, the last time that he went on 60 Minutes, which was just after his 2016 election, if you look at that interview and the one that happened over the weekend, there was a 47% drop wow. in total viewers to Donald Trump's interviews. Wow. Now, look, you know, it's still a, probably a pretty big interview, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. But it, it, clearly not as many people are interested in hearing what he has to say as they were when he first got elected. That ties in with the reports that his rallies, that he, all these rallies he's been holding, the cables don't carry him anymore, yeah. except for Fox. But even Fox doesn't wall to wall. Right. I do wonder if people are getting kind of tired of the Trump show. You know, Trump fatigue. Yeah, we're in like the third season. The, we're yeah. kind of doing, the writers are doing the same thing over and over again. You know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, like once you realize that we're just entertaining ourselves to death, <laughs> you know, with the way that we cover him and, and politics in general, it's just kind of like, yeah, it's, it's not as much fun anymore. Alex, I couldn't help but notice you have a nice beard there, buddy. You got a nice beard going on. Likewise. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're, we're beard brothers that way. And it turns out not only are we fashionable and stylish, we're very smart. Because a new study by a group of ear, nose, and throat doctors say that a beard can actually protect you from allergies. It acts as a natural filter. It keeps allergens trapped in your beard so that it doesn't make it to your nose or your mouth. Now... The doctors did put, look at Bill. Bill is so skeptical. He's about to just unload on <laughs> well, me. Well, the idea, I mean, that you've got all these creatures living in your beard. This is supposedly good okay, for well, you. Uh, this is actually where I was going with this. They Insects, make a point. You spiders, you have mites, to, lice, <laughs> giraffes. There's a family of robins that live in my beard. I feed them every morning. Uh, they make a point. You have to groom it and you have to keep it clean. Like when you take a shower, you have to shampoo it either with beard shampoo. You can use regular shampoo on your beard to make sure that it's clean and to groom it so that it's not completely out of control or else things will get growing. Not just caught in there, but stuck in there. So clean your beard, keep it trimmed, and that way you'll... Uh, might be able to fight some allergies. That I way. just want to point out that I have no allergies. I've lived in Washington, D.C. now for like 20 years. Yeah. No allergies. No allergies? No. All right. And clean shaven. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never seen you with a beard. <laughs> I don't and have I never one. Will. I don't have one. <laughs> sure. <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, uh, we didn't mean to kill him. It was just an accident. That's all. So you got to forgive us. That's the latest from the Saudis. Yeah, we'll find out more today, perhaps. What do you say, everybody? Happy Tuesday, Tuesday, October 16. Good to see you here for the Bill Press Show, and welcome to the program. Look forward to hearing from you, your comments on the news of the day on Twitter at BP Show as we reach out to you. Nationwide from our studio on Capitol Hill, joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Looking at you on television, on Free Speech TV, and on the radio. We are with you on the great WCPT out in Chicago and the greater Chicago area here in studio with us, Alex Seitzwald. Here's a friend of Bill for the entire hour, is, uh, of course, political reporter for NBC News. Um, boy, he is... a this is your season, dude, uh, here uh, with three weeks to go before the before the midterms, with a lot on the line this time, right? I mean, the presidency, no, but everything else at the state level or 
in, at the congressional level. It sure is. I mean, I, it's hard to get people to care about midterms often. Uh, except you know, this year, huh? Except, but this year is is different. This year is totally different. It's so nationalized. Trump is not technically on the ballot, but he is uh, looming over everything. We've all become so political. Everything has become politicized. You can't, you know, watch TV or watch a NFL game without politics seeping in. So there's just so much uh, energy and enthusiasm and desire out there on both sides to vote in November. And I think everybody agrees this is going to be one of the most important midterms. You, you know. just came back from Texas, you said, right? That's right. Okay. So what's the story in Texas? I mean, has anybody ever raised as much money as Beto O'Rourke has? No, literally nobody. Not No Senate candidate in history has ever raised as much money in one quarter as Beto O'Rourke And did. he's not raising it all in Texas, right? Uh, no, and and but he's actually raising a, a surprising amount of that money from within the the, the state borders. Uh, Ted Cruz and Republicans are saying, you know, it's all Hollywood money, New York money. They're, sure, he's getting a lot of money from those places, but he's also getting a lot of money from small donors inside uh, Texas. Thirty eight million dollars in one quarter. It's an absolutely astounding whoa, amount of money. Whoa. Yeah, the uh, when Barack Obama got in the presidential race, his first quarter as a presidential candidate. He raised like twenty six million or something. So so Beto is out outstripping that. Uh, this is the you know got to be one of the most exciting races in the country. I, I keep seeing reports on Twitter of lawn signs popping up in New Jersey and Virginia and Connecticut. You know people are following this everywhere. I don't know if he's going to be able to pull it off though. It's Texas. Uh, the the concern from Democrats there that I keep hearing is there's a ceiling for any Democrats and no matter. Even if Better Work runs a perfect campaign, raises all the money in the world, he's just not going to be able to get uh, to 50 percent. And that's kind of where the polls are, are showing him now. Is he doing TV advertising? He is. He's spending a lot of money on TV advertising. He's doing everything. He has a, a the largest field program that everybody in Texas said they've ever seen, uh, which is big. And, and the you know, this is a state where the Democratic Party doesn't really exist. The infrastructure doesn't. There, there's not a lot of unions. There's not a lot of the kind of uh, progressive infrastructure that you have other places. So he's trying to build that from scratch, essentially. He's doing uh, spending a ton of money on uh, Facebook and, and digital advertising, uh, radio advertising. He is he is everywhere because, you know, when you have thirty eight million dollars, you fortunately have a lot of uh, options. Right. Um, and so but the polls now show polls now show uh, Cruz about seven to nine points ahead and stabilizing. So there was a while where it was closing. Each new poll would show Beto work creeping up, creeping up, and he seems but, to have kind of plateaued. But the thing is, just on a personal level, I mean, Beto is so attractive, and Ted Cruz is just, I don't know, he, he's the, probably the least popular member of the Senate, even among the Republican caucus, right? Yeah, there's, there's you can ask uh, Republicans, and they will tell you that, or they, yeah, they did yeah, at least. Right. So he's not a popular guy, right? I, I, so I'm... I don't understand how he can be that far ahead. Yeah, there, it's exactly right. I mean, it, it's because it's Texas. There are, uh, they, there's a, a belief that there are more Democrats in the state of mm -hmm. Texas. They just don't vote. Uh, it's the 49th or 50th state in voter turnout and voter participation, depending on how you measure it. Really? So, yeah. so Better Works line is our problem is not that Texas is a red state. It's that it's a non-voting state. So even though there might be more Democratic-leaning Residents, the voting, the actual people who vote, there's 800,000 more Republicans who vote regularly. So he's trying to close that gap. He's trying to change it. But, you know, you, you can't really do that in one election cycle. And the biggest problem, the single biggest problem for Democrats there is Latinos. Uh, they The turnout is, is just abysmal. The Democrats have not really invested uh, in that community. They're, they're kind of trying to here and there. But it's this classic. But what about the Castro brothers? I mean, didn't they 
do anything to get the Latinos, the Latino community, um, you know, registered and out to vote? Sure, yeah, some. Uh, but you know, they're they haven't run statewide. They've they've run for yeah, Congress. They've run right. for mayor. Um, or were the, the housing secretary. I talked to Julian Castro for the story we did on the Latino vote, and he said this is you know a huge problem. He he wouldn't quite uh, explicitly say it, but I think when you have somebody like Tom Steyer spending fifty million dollars on ads for impeachment, he would say you know we need a big donor like that to take that kind of money and pour it into Texas. And if you ever want to turn Texas blue, it's going to take a, a major sustained investment because what happens with both with Texas and with Latino voters everywhere. You get this kind of uh, vicious cycle where they don't turn out, so Democrats don't invest in them in the immediate cycle because they focus on voters who are more likely to vote. And they say, yes, we agree that that's important, but we have to we have to deal with these swing voters right now. We'll get to that later. But there is no later because the next cycle they're going to focus on the short-term voters again. And so you end up with just th- these people not getting talked to, not getting organized, and Democrats not elevating Latino leaders in their party. You've got the Castros. You have, you know, Eric Garcetti, who is uh, the mayor of Los Angeles, who calls himself an Italian, Jewish, Mexican-American. And it's, it's like, you know, Martinez in uh, New Jersey. There's not a lot of national Latino leaders. So that's a it's a tough for Latino voters to identify with Democratic Party. And, and what I found uh, when I was down there, they just get turned off from politics in general. It's not that they don't care. Yeah. They, they do yeah. care. But you would think with Donald Trump in the White House, with everything going on, they would be super fired up to vote against him. And instead, they just kind of throw up their hands and say, this whole system doesn't work for me. Well, anecdotally, um, I was in San Antonio uh, three weeks ago. I couldn't wait to get down there because I was so excited about the Senate race. And first person I see, I mean, I just started talking to people, who's going to win the Senate race? I, most people I talked to had no idea who the candidates were. Wow. I mean, I, I, I didn't see one sign for Ted Cruz nor one sign for Better O'Rourke. Wow. You know, I was just in the city of San Antonio. I was there for two days. But I was stunned by the fact how little interest. I, I felt the more people in Washington, D.C., from my experience, were excited about the Senate race in Texas than the people <laughs> in San Antonio. Right. <laughs> right. It's, uh, that, exactly. And and in I, ju- I, I just talked to somebody in uh, L.A. yesterday who said that everywhere he goes, he hears people talking about the, the Senate race if they're talking about politics. Obviously, those people don't vote in Texas. That's nice, but it doesn't doesn't help you no, win Texas. It's my experience too. If I talk to people from Delaware, from New New York, I mean, here in Washington, California, whatever, the one race they want to they're all talking about is Bedrock Rock. Yeah, right. Yeah, and well, he and he really has tapped into something. We sh- we should give him credit here. Uh, he has tapped into something that I have very rarely seen. Only Barack Obama, Bernie Sanders, Donald Trump level uh, of of. Kind of transcending politics into becoming a cultural phenomenon. I, yeah. I, I seriously yeah. think he's on that level. He just brings out thousands and thousands of of people. Uh, you see him popping up everywhere, and and I think, and you're already hearing talk of it. You know, even if he doesn't win the Senate race, uh, I would look at him in 2020 to potentially run for president. I, well, I've been saying if he does win, that he's definitely a candidate in 2020. You know, he's got that. He's he does have that magic. The first debate is coming up tonight. Tonight, aha! That'll be that'll be interesting. Yeah. Second, second debate, but it will be the second one. Okay, it'll be very uh, yeah, very interesting. Things have gotten really ugly. Ted Cruz has now started making it a, a core part of his message that he just did this in the last couple of days. That Beto O'Rourke is just running for president. He doesn't actually care about Texas. Uh, uh, didn't 
Ted but, Cruz run for president two years ago? I, I have some vague memory of, of that, yeah. Oh, that's right, but his father tried to kill JFK, so he he was he was knocked out. Well, I, I just saw this new the new ad. We played the ad about uh, you know tough for Texas or tough. Oh, I love that ad. Richard so the Linklater sa- ad. Richard yeah. Linklater yeah. ad. So there's a new one with the same guy where he's talking about Ted Cruz and his love of White Castle burgers. And there's not a White Castle 900 miles within Texas, of course. Beto O'Rourke has been to Whataburger, a Texas institution, multiple times. Oh, yeah. Do we have that ad? No, yeah. uh, not right now. No, I'll yeah. pull it later. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, just one final note on Texas um, uh, that I thought was really funny. So, Donald Trump promised. Uh, of course, we know we remember the spat over the Ted Cruz's father during 2016. Yeah. There was no love lost between the two, but it put that. But that's past history now for Donald Trump. He promised he was going to go to Texas and have a rally for Ted Cruz in the largest stadium they could find in Texas. Well, the largest stadium uh, that they that exists in Texas is Texas A&M, the home of the Texas Aggies, which holds 102,000 people. Pretty big. That's not where Donald Trump is holding his rally on October 22nd. <gasps> Even though he said he was going to go to the largest stadium in Texas— Actually, this uh, event has now been scheduled for the NRG Stadium in Houston, which holds, or Arena in Houston, which holds 8,000 people. (laughs) So he's only off by (laughs) 94,000. I thought everything was bigger in Texas, too. (laughs) Well, that's pretty close for Donald Trump to be only off by 94,000, right? At least he's actually going to Texas. But he is going to Texas. And Arena. Yes, and, you know it's the it's the, the ballpark. <laughs> very close, very yeah. very. Close. For, most, for him, you get great him on a curve. As with most Donald Trump lies, there are there's always like a little bit of truth. <laughs> yeah, just enough of the truth in them. Uh, so, what what about this silly spat between Donald Trump and Elizabeth Warren? Wow, I mean, well, let's play again. Okay, Donald Trump says he never promised her a million dollars. Right. We can't hear this often enough. This isn't that longer. This is July the 5th, this year. <laughs> we will take that little kit and say, but we have to do it gently. Because we're in the Me Too generation, so we have to be very gentle. And we will very can't gently take that kit everything. and we will slowly toss it, hoping it doesn't hit her and injure her arm. Even though it only weighs probably two ounces. And we will say, I will give you a million dollars to your favorite charity, paid for by Trump, if you take the test and it shows you're an Indian, you know. Million dollars. Million dollars in July. Suddenly, suddenly. I never said it, he says now. I never said it. And then he changed. That was early in the day. I never said it. Everybody, of course, comes up with this clip. Then he says, but I meant only if I administer the test Personally, and I think he added, "and I'll enjoy it," which is very creepy. When you no, he ta- said, "I won't enjoy it." I won't enjoy yeah, it. Yeah. Either way, very creepy Either. when you're talking very about creepy. taking somebody's blood or or whatever you do for a DNA test. Yeah, uh, I mean, welcome to to 2020. This is, I, I think, unfortunately, a preview of what this presidential campaign is going to look like. I, Donald Trump is going to set the the tone, and you know, I think Elizabeth Warren had to do this. She was going to have to do it at some point, and. Uh, I think she wanted it to be the satisfying, you know, got Donald Trump to walk out on a limb and then chop off the limb by getting the DNA test. But he ended up almost immediately coming back with this this thing that kind of muddies it and ends up not giving you the satisfying 
knockout punch that Elizabeth Warren was looking for on this thing. And uh, it, I, I don't know. I mean, I think in, in the in the morning she was looking. This looked like a really smart move from her. She came out with the DNA test. She had this video of her of her family in Oklahoma. By the end of the day, the Cherokee Nation, the the official tribe, was putting out a statement saying DNA tests are not how we determine right uh, roles. And and her doing this undermines the credibility. So I think she kind of ended up back at at square one. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I and do I, too. I, I've said this for a long time. I've said this on the show for years now. And yesterday, a couple of people picked up on it. But there's a tweet by a guy named uh, Jesse Farrar, Bronze Hammer, and he says. Well, I'd like to see old Donnie Trump wiggle his way out of this jam. Trump wriggles his way easily out of the jam. <laughs> ah, well, nevertheless. And that's just how it goes that's with it. Trump. Like it's like you said, this kind of felt yeah. like it should be a yeah. knockout punch, and it's not at no, all. This no, is such no. a small blip on the radar she, of Donald Trump. She should have And just, his supporters. She should have just ignored it. I mean, the only people who got off on that whole Pocahontas thing where his, you know, his tr- supporters at the rallies, you know, they loved it. Otherwise, and they're st- and they, I don't think it hurt her. They're not going to stop. Potential support. No, this and they're not going to stop. stop. Them. Yeah. We, were, we were talking earlier, this is like the Obama birth certificate. Yeah, exactly. That Trump had kept it up, kept it up, Obama finally had enough, right? He had to prove it once and for all. And he showed, handed out the birth certificate, which did prove it once and for all. For everybody except Donald Trump and his supporters, they still, a lot of them still believe he was born in Kenya. Yeah. Until he, he, I remember there was some point in 2016 where Trump just came out and gave yeah, like a 42 yeah. second press right. conference. I'm yes, doing yeah, air quotes. Yeah, I believe he was here. Yeah, sure, sure, whatever. Right, exactly. And that, and it was it. He also said that he would give five million dollars, even more money, to a charity if uh, Barack Obama produced his birth certificate. Of course, that did not materialize <laughs> either. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you would you would think like from a from a messaging point of view there's so much fun you could have with this million dollar gift elizabeth warren could show up at a she could volunteer at a soup kitchen and say i'm sure these people would really love to have a million dollars from donald trump but he's and because you know he's never going to do it that would that would be admitting defeat from from his point of view but he's going to find some weird way to to wiggle out of it because he he doesn't the rules standard rules don't apply to him the 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 other uh consideration here is I, i from my point of view is uh, we all know that Elizabeth Warren um, wants to run, is going to run in 2020, and God bless her. You know, she. I think she should have run the last time. Yeah. Um. I love her. Love her. Love her politics. I don't think the timing for this is. She could have waited till after the midterms. Yeah. To do this, you know. I mean, and she's been doing. I mentioned this earlier. She's been doing a lot to help Democratic candidates around the country. So is Kamala Harris. You know. So as. Cory Booker, anybody is, so is Joe Biden. Yeah. All those, so is Bernie Sanders. All those people who think about running in 2020, that's what they've been doing. And Elizabeth Warren has been doing that. But to take time out to do this right now is just a big distraction we don't need, I think. Yeah, I, I, I've been trying to understand why, why now. Why the timing? Why yeah. now? Yeah. And I mean, the, the best I can come up with is that you want, you want to get it out of the way early before, you know, 2020 really kicks off. But again, she had time after. November six, right? Yeah, I, I, I so I, I don't understand because everything else so far, uh, I, I think of all the the twenty twenty people, she has been the most methodical and the most deliberate um, and and the smartest if, if, in a lot of ways in preparing uh, for twenty twenty. She has this whole team of you know she's, she's up for reelection in Massachusetts. We should say she's she's running for reelection. Yeah, but at the same time, she's helping all these people across the country. She's put. Members of her staff and her team out there all across the country helping candidates. No, she's doing 
strategically very smart. Yes, and I've heard from candidates. I heard a state senate candidate in Wisconsin that I talked to got a call from her after uh, he won the primary saying, just, you know, congratulations. Let me know if I can ever be helpful. No one else called. Yeah. I, and I can't uh, imagine Bernie Sanders as much as you might love. I can't imagine him doing something like that. Right. But this, I, I didn't quite understand. I think she's, they were trying to, to control it, to, to set out this whole narrative. And, you know, Monday morning, it seemed, it really seems like one of those things. There have been a lot of meetings that have been gearing up for this. They had it all ready to roll out, roll it out Monday morning. Uh, but you you just can't control the news cycle when Donald Trump is president. And I think yeah. that's going to be a, an important lesson. Um, so um, how do you think Bernie Sanders feels, having done as well as he did in 2016, uh, when uh, he looks up and here's Joe Biden leading the pack? I mean, I... I for 2020. I, Life isn't fair, I guess. Huh? Maybe, but maybe he is better positioned as an underdog, as a as a kind of, um, you know, alternative. Uh, I think... The front being the front runner is really hard, as Hillary Clinton learned, because everybody beats up on you. And when there's 30 people who are looking at running for president, that means there's 29 people mm-hmm. beating up on you. So I think Bernie Sanders might be okay, or I, I don't know how you might know better than I how he actually feels about it. But I think uh, it, it'd be smarter for him to be okay with with having Joe Biden kind of out there right now. Uh, that's who Donald Trump is beating up on. That's who you know you. You see some implicit shots at it. I did see uh, Jeff Weaver, former Bernie Sanders campaign manager. He had this debate with people from Third Way, you know, the centrist Democratic think tank. And he just kind of slipped in that Joe Biden was the the father of mass incarceration, I believe was the quote, which I thought was an interesting. Maybe he just said that off the cuff, but maybe he was taking a shot uh, at the the former vice president. it, It shows, I think, that they're looking at ways that they can go after Joe Biden because they're going they're going to have to. And he has a lot of vulnerabilities. Yeah. On mass Anita Hill. All kinds of stuff. But but right, it, uh, the, the early polling has shown Bernie Sanders is basically 100% name ID. Joe Biden is basically 100% name ID. The polls now don't really mean anything uh, aside from name ID. But the fact that they show Biden at like 30% and Bernie Sanders down in the single digits, the high single digits, but, you know, mm-hmm. kind of mixed in with Elizabeth yeah. Warren, Kamala Harris. You're right. He's not going to come out of the gate as the, the, the favorite. So let's 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 back up here. Just looking as you do, because this is your this is beat and you're doing it all the time. When you look at the midterms, uh, three weeks from today, uh, what's your basic prognostication? Are, are Democrats do going to do well? Uh, Republicans are going to do better than expected. I think the most likely outcome is Democrats take the House, but don't take the the Senate. Uh, a whole range of possibilities are are also possible. Republicans could hold the House by, you know, one or some narrow margin, uh, but or Democrats could even take the Senate. But I think most likely we're going to end up with a Democratic majority and uh, Republicans, you know, keeping one seat. And I think that in the 2020 context, the changes everything. Right. I think suddenly like Joe Biden, if Democrats win big and they win successfully and even if a couple of these progressives win in red states running on Medicare for all. Then I think maybe the party feels like, well, maybe we don't have to nominate Joe Biden. Maybe we can go with somebody a little more keeping with our base, with our passion, with our heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and governorships? Uh, I think the governors are going to be potentially some of the best spots for for Democrats, largely because they're so they're such a weak place right now. They're down to fifteen or right, sixteen. Right. Right. Um, right. So you have a lot of like blue states like New Mexico that you know should have a Democratic governor essentially, or Illinois. Uh, which probably will after November. 
the the I think the most fascinating race in the country, or one of them, is is the Florida governor's race, Andrew Gillum, Ron DeSantis. Andrew Gillum's looking really strong, surprisingly strong right now. Mm-hmm. Stacey Abrams looks like she has a shot in uh, Georgia. Uh, but I think again, like, uh, and I know I've talked to twenty twenty candidates who are watching those races, and if you can win, if Andrew Gillum can win on a kind of base mobilization strategy, you know, he's pro Medicare for all, he's pro marijuana legalization. If he can win in Florida, former Confederacy. I think that says a lot about how you can win in 2020. Wisconsin? I think Scott Walker's done. I, I, I'm shocked to I, to say that, but it's just, you know, this guy who d- defended the, the recall, who won re-election twice. Yeah. yeah. He is, it seems to, something is happening in Wisconsin. I have not made it out there yet. I really want to because that that was the, the kind of heart of the Tea Party. You can really overstay your welcome uh, no matter who you are. Right. right. Yeah, that could that could be it. Um, but uh, it's an amazing turn of a, a, a power for him and for the entire. You know, there was the the Scott Walker, Ryan's Priebus, <laughs> Paul Ryan. That those were the the three guys who were kind of running the Republican Party, represented the Republican Party, and almost all three of them might be out of a job come November. Well, yeah, right. We know. I mean, Priebus in effect out of a job. Priebus is already Paul gone. Ryan, Paul Ryan, yeah. Paul yeah. Ryan's retiring. And, and, now, uh, and now Scott Walker could be defeated. Right. And potentially, I mean, if the polls end up proving right by, by a sizable. Margin. And uh, so the so the Midwest is where some of the pickups are. Good. You mentioned Illinois. We mentioned Wisconsin. Also Michigan. It's a great point. So, yeah, the Trump won by r- destroying the so-called blue wall in the upper Midwest. And there was all this talk that. Well, that's the end of mm-hmm. Democrats in Michigan and Wisconsin. And actually, some of the places that Democrats are doing best right now are the upper Midwest, the the Rust Belt. If you include, go over to Pencil- Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, um, Minnesota, even places like the Iron Range in, in Minnesota, which is traditionally the more conservative. Uh, and and there's no one is really sure what's, what's going on there. Is it just Democratic voters coming back home? Uh, is it the trade... Fights that that Trump has been having, but uh, he's do, Democrats are doing a lot better there than any of us would have expected, and they're and they're doing better there than in places like where you might expect in say the Central Valley of California, where you have a big Hispanic population, or or Miami again, where you have you have these uh, congressional districts with like 70 percent Hispanic population, and Democrats are not doing well there. Instead, they're doing well with the white union working class guys that we all thought were were gone to to Trump, right. Uh, they did, who did go to Trump? Who did? But, right. But, but maybe it looks maybe uh, maybe coming home. Um, in, in terms of um, s- some of the um, Senate races, you mentioned uh, unlikely that Democrats, in your view and your and your research or your reporting, that Democrats might take back the Senate. Um, I have seen some. I was feeling good about Nevada. And yet I saw something yesterday where Heller might be. This was actually, I remember now, it was on the Daily Caller, so consider the source. How does Nevada look with Jackie Rosen, it, Dean Heller? It, no, it is It is surprisingly. Uh, Heller Heller has proven, the rumors of Heller's demise have been yeah. overstated. He's the weakest Republican incumbent on paper. It's a, Hillary Clinton won the state, a uh, very diverse state, and uh, he was looking Really, he was looking, you know, he'd been written off for dead. He's now slightly ahead or, or running mm-hmm. even with Jackie Rosen. Democrats have a history of grinding out a performance in Nevada that slightly yeah. overperforms the polls. The Harry Reid machine is still very much alive. 
uh, there. The the culinary union is is really yeah, powerful, huge. and uh, yeah, they they get their people out. So I think you know that that that's kind of the best case scenario right now for Democrats. But it's uh it's 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 a strange turn of events where Joe Manchin is up much bigger in West Virginia in the polls than Jackie Rosen in Nevada. Doesn't surprise me actually. You know, I mean, I I I never thought Manchin was given who he is and how popular he is in West Virginia, was in any trouble at all. Yeah. But, um, and Indiana, we thought, was going to be problematic, which looks, not not taking anything for granted, but looks pretty good. Yeah, again, and... and, uh, and with I'd, Joe Donnelly. With Joe Donnelly, right. Uh, yeah, he, he's looking surprisingly strong, too. He was, he's a guy who, you know, most Democrats have probably never heard of. He's a very low-key... Guy, he doesn't. Unlike Joe Manchin, who has a big personality and who has been able to carve mm-hmm. out his own brand that way, Donnelly has done it in a very different way. Uh, but that's the 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 resurgence in that in the upper Midwest, you know, kind of Rust Belt Perfect. area. Right. And I, I keep coming back to this: that it's Indiana, Ohio shared Brown is looking really strong. I mean, we always thought he'd be strong, but he has yeah. he has barely yeah. broken a sweat in right. in a state that Trump won pretty handily. Um, and meanwhile, in places with with a big, diverse, large Hispanic population, Nevada, you have a, a real contest, and Heller might might eke it out. He's getting something like thirty eight, forty percent of the Latino vote uh, in polls there. Uh, Donald Trump is heading out. I think it's this week back to Montana. Um, can he really? Do, do they really think they can bounce John Tester? I think he is. I think Donald Trump has a personal beef with John Tester, relating to <laughs> over the uh, yeah Randy uh, the, the, the uh, doctor Jackson. Uh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> the White House physician who uh, Surgeon was, General Surgeon General. Yeah, he was up for right up for Surgeon General. He was had been the White House physician known for walking down Air Force One and handing out Ambien to. Uh, and Whoever. John Tester called him the Candy Man. Yeah, right. <laughs> Just a great, great bit of, of Trumpian branding. Uh, so I think Trump would would very much like to see him do, uh, go down. But it, the, if you look at, at 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 Donald Trump's travel this year, it's incredible how uh, unambitious it is. I guess I'll, I'll say how unrisky it is. He's gone to Mississippi. He's going to Texas, Montana. He is stuck to safe places for mm-hmm. him. He has not gone to California where there are a lot of important house races. He's not gone to Nevada. He's not gone to uh you know swing states uh, essentially. He's he's stayed in red places. So so Montana Cuz he loves those adoring crowds. But it but it makes they, me, you know, they laugh at his jokes. They laugh at his jokes. They don't get you don't get as many protesters. It's it's safe and yeah. yeah. But it makes me it makes you know me wonder if he if there's a reason that he is not showing up in uh, more competitive places. We've talked a lot about the energy, the excitement, the momentum that's popped up this year, particularly on the Democratic side, uh, and it's due to a large part to some great organizations, grassroots organizations that have popped up. Okay, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm learning that we may not hear from one of them. Uh, indivisible that we're we're going to be joining us, but we've got a lot more uh, races to talk about, a lot more of the political landscape to cover, uh, which we will do with uh, Alex Seitzwald and with all of you after a quick break here on the Bill Press Show, Tuesday, October 16, and then we'll be right back. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. 
And here we are on this Tuesday, October 16. Uh, it is the Bill Press Show, and it's great to see you today and good to have you part of the program. Alex Seitzwald from NBC News here with us as a friend of Bill for the entire hour. Uh, looking at the uh, political landscape and the other news of the day. Uh, and by the way, I want to remind you a great new and exciting um, destination for you to keep up with the at least the progressive side of the news of the day. Uh, a new website called leftisright.com. Leftisright.com. You can find it uh, on the app. Uh, download the app uh, right away. It's uh, PVN, Political Voices Network. Political Voices Network. Download the app on the website leftisright.com. You will find um, the lineup of The Bill Press Show, The Stephanie Miller Show, and The Tom Hartman Show. All there, easily packaged, easy for you to watch. It's sort of your one-stop shop for progressive politics between now and the midterms, and of course will continue beyond. Uh, so go to the website pvnpoliticalvoices.com uh, and um, or political voices network, sorry, and check out the uh, leftisright.com and join the three of us, me, Stephanie, and Tom, uh, every day. Alex, we've been at this for a little bit. Peter's right. uh, catching up with Hang some on. comments. All right, we have a lot of comments. I'm going to read them. Uh -oh. and I promise I will. But I first have to read the comments uh, because Donald Trump is tweeting. Uh, he's tweeting about Elizabeth Warren. He's tweeting right? about Elizabeth Warren, as you might have guessed. Uh, a couple of tweets this morning. Here's what he says. I'm just going to read them verbatim. Pocahontas, parentheses, the bad version, sometimes referred to as Elizabeth Warren, is getting slammed. She took a bogus DNA test, and it showed that she may be one one-thousandth far less than average American. Now, Native, now Cherokee Nation denies her quote, DNA test is useless, end quote, even if even they don't want her. Phony. Now that her claims of being an in, of, of Indian heritage have turned out to be a scam and a lie, Elizabeth Warren should apologize for perpetrating this fraud against the American public. Harvard called her a person of color, parentheses, amazing con, and would not have taken her otherwise. Thank you to the Cherokee Nation for revealing that Elizabeth <laughs> Warren, sometimes referred to as Pocahontas, is a complete and total Fraud. That is the series of tweets from the President of the United States. <laughs> when you're called a fraud by Donald Trump, that is sort of like being called ugly by a frog. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, so. Lindsey Graham, I might point out, is on Fox and Friends as we speak, uh, and they're talking about Elizabeth Warren. Great. I really care this is what the new, has to say about it. This is new distraction for today. Hey, right. uh, go to our, but our Twitter feed. Warren started this one. Yeah, yeah right. She, she chose this. She picked this fight. Yeah. Go to our Twitter feed, at BP Show, <laughs> at BP Show, where you can chime in with your comments. And we also have a poll up right now. We were just talking about Beto O'Rourke. Oh, yes. Will Beto unseat Ted Cruz for the Senate seat? You can vote just yes or no. I will say... Our audience, as of now, is very enthusiastic and very optimistic. 81% say yes. <laughs> wow. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Keep Let's hope alive. I, I appreciate that. Also, some comments on that. Alexander says, I hope so. He is behind in all of the polls. 538, precinct, uh, 500, 538 predicts he won't win. I want him to win, though. I absolutely cannot stand Ted Cruz. And Ruby Bozeman Davis says, the other thing to remember here 
is that the GOP is going to try and steal elections all over the country. Just look at what's happening in Georgia, the Stacey Abrams race, all the right. voters that were suspended, right? We were just talking about her. So if you have a comment on uh, on any topic at any time, Elizabeth Warren-related, Beto O'Rourke-related, anything, find us on Twitter, at BP Show. Uh, the president yesterday, Alex, was down in um, Georgia and Florida looking at the devastation uh, left behind by Hurricane Michael. Uh, in Panama City, he uh, was talking about the great job that uh, FEMA is is doing down there. Uh, Donald Trump praising the FEMA response in Panama City. This is really incredible. And the job they've done, first responders, FEMA, the job they've done is incredible. You're doing heck a great of a job, Brownie. Heck of a job, Brownie. Yeah, heck of a job, Brownie, right? So, uh, <laughs> uh, the. Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. There he is. <laughs> <laughs> flash, flash forward, flash backwards. Um, the residents down there didn't seem to quite have the same reaction. Uh, here's, uh, here's one of them. Well, they should get here and help us a little bit, you know, with a little bit of assistance. They should get here and help us a little bit, a little bit of assistance. Rob Marciano from ABC News uh, asked a couple of residents, uh, have you seen anything of FEMA? How do you think the uh, FEMA's response is? Have you, have you seen FEMA around? No. Haven't seen them. Haven't seen them. <laughs> uh, that's always tricky with these hurricanes, you know. Yeah. And and part of the uh, problem here that, I, that I've heard from folks in Florida is this is a poorer part of florida it is like a resort town but uh resort area but it's it's not the fancy resort area particularly like mexico beach was not at all right uh and so there's this perception that seems to be playing out so far that their response is not going to be as aggressive as it would be if the hurricane had hit miami or Mm. you know Mm. tampa uh or 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 a wealthier sarasota or something like that uh, and there's a, a military base there that is a, it's a huge Air Force base that got really ravaged. And there's this theory that they're going to use that as an excuse to shut down the base because they've been wanting to shut it down for a long time. But it's kind of the economic engine uh, of this community. So, we're you know, we're mainly talking about uh, uh, poor white people here. This is not uh, Hurricane Katrina, but it turns out <laughs> that that matters, yeah, too. Right. And, uh, you know. After if you're if you're FEMA if you're the White House and uh, you kind of got away with it in Maria in Puerto Rico and didn't really seem to suffer much political consequences for that then I I think they kind of feel like they have free reign to do what they can here. Uh, President got a little flap too, but um, we've seen when he was talking to reporters before he got on Marine One heading down to Georgia he was standing there holding an umbrella. Uh, apparently, if you widen the shot, that the first lady is standing there. Outside the umbrella. No, you know what? I actually watched, I actually watched <laughs> yeah. this yesterday he, on one of our TVs. She's in the rain. He's standing there with the umbrella so, over him. So he walks up to the reporters because he gets so excited when he sees his reporters. He's got his, he's got his umbrella, and he walks away from Melania. So she's standing out in the rain. Yeah. And then he does his whole thing, and he answers a couple of questions, and he starts walking towards our, our uh, Marine One, and... He just has the umbrella over him. Yeah. And it almost looks like he's actively trying to keep it off of her. Like he's got it at a tilt away from her where it still covers. Because oh, it's a big enough umbrella it could cover both of them. It was, yeah, it was a big umbrella. Right. Yeah, no. it could cover both of them easily. And come he on, has, honey, has come in here and get dry. No, no. Her, so it's just on him. Like, come on, man. 
I, I, just, I always remember that his very first day as president on inauguration day, they, they take the parade up from the Capitol to the White House and the Obamas are on the steps of the White House to greet the, oh, yeah. the, the new yes. president. And he comes bounding out of the car. He's so excited to go sh- you know, shake Obama's hand. Melania gets out the other side of the car and is just kind of standing there on her own. She's clearly waiting for him to come around and escort her you know, so that they can walk up to the Obamas together. But instead she has to kind of make the walk across the lawn. And Obama kind of like, Barack Obama kind of like helps her, like takes her hand as she's coming up the stairs while Trump is just up there <laughs> enjoying his moment. It, it's just, there's, there's so many like Disney movie level lessons on how to be a human that Donald Trump just never seemed to have gotten. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like it's like the stuff they teach you in kindergarten about like sharing and being nice to people, like, like really like basic uh, mm-hmm. human level stuff that he sometimes seems to struggle with. Remember that book, it uh, was 20 years or so now, I remember Barbara, Barbara Boxer always used to quote it, Everything I know, I learned in kindergarten. Yeah, yeah. So with Donald Trump, it's everything I don't know, I didn't learn in kindergarten. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, it, it, in his interview with um, Leslie Stahl on, on 60 Minutes, the president ended up having some interesting to say about Defense Secretary James Mattis, which surprised people when he said, uh, you know, he's well, he's really kind of a Democrat, and yeah, he may leave, but everybody leaves one time or another. It wasn't really a ringing endorsement of the defense secretary. Yeah, who's James Mad Dog uh, Mattis is what he's known. So I guess James Moderate Mattis, maybe now you could call him. Right, and it it started out that Trump was the biggest cheerleader for Mad Dog Mattis because he had this tough general, right, in his camp. Right. And he was bragging about him, talking about him all the time. Uh, That relationship has cooled considerably because... Uh, Mattis has stood up to Trump on a couple of occasions. It could be that he is. I think he's sort of a Democrat, if you want to know the truth. (laughs) But General Mattis is a good guy. We get along very well. He may leave. I mean, at some point, everybody leaves. Everybody. People leave. That's Washington. Yeah, that's Washington. (laughs) uh, Again, not quite a ringing endorsement. That was was, uh, Donald Trump talking to uh, Leslie Stahl. Um, So then they caught reporters did catch up with Secretary Mattis yesterday. Uh, what did he think about the interview? First of all, he said, I didn't even watch it. I have not. Uh, frankly, I didn't watch the interview. I didn't see it. So uh, I, I read what's in your papers. Yeah, so he's not going to comment beyond that. But he did say in terms of, is he a Democrat or a Republican? This sort I've of never, I've never registered for any political party. That's a- Never. That means he's never voted. It means right. Yeah, exactly. And you know, that's, a, that's I think that's fairly common in the in the military. Uh, but Mattis is one of the only cabinet members who has managed to both be independent, kind of maintained his respect, and not be totally uh, subjugated to Donald Trump's will, while seemingly remaining in Donald Trump's good graces. Although maybe that won't last uh, too long. But I, I love the. I didn't watch the interview. There's, this is like a, a skill that Republicans in Washington have gotten really good at, especially senators. When you go and try to ask them about, you know, what Trump tweeted or what he said at his rally, they always say, "I never saw it." And so I think there has to be this kind of cocoon of not reading. They, they know that there are certain articles in the newspaper that they have to avert their eyes from it. I've, <laughs> and I've even seen reporters 
try to show a tweet. You know, tweets are not that long. Like you can yeah. sit, you yeah. can sit there and show it to a senator, and they can read it, and they kind of like look oh. away and dodge, and they they don't want to read it because once they read it, then they have to comment uh, on it. So, uh, and we remember that uh, initially, everybody said, "Don't worry about Donald Trump because there are these four grown-ups around him." Right. James Mattis was one of them. H.R. Uh, McMaster, Rex Tillerson, and Gary Cohn. <laughs> they were the ones that could stand up to him because they were strong men on their, in their own right and accomplished a lot, and he respected all of them. Well, they're all gone except Mattis. That's right. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, I think the, the Committee to Protect America, they, somebody called them. <laughs> there was, yeah. yeah. Uh, they're all gone. And even Rex Tillerson is a great example. He's the CEO of a giant globe-spanning corporation and just immediately uh, gets, you know, cut down by by Trump. And he does this to everybody who comes in his orbit. If you, very few people have worked for Donald Trump and come out the other end better off uh, or even as well off as, as they as they went in. He just force, he dominates people, he forces, he humiliates people. Uh, and Mattis has so far been able to avoid that. But I think, you know, a comment like that might be enough to put a little bit of blood in the water. And then you get some more reporting, reporters going mm-hmm. out there and they're going to dig up Mattis saying something in a private meeting negative about Trump, which will lead to a new response from Trump and start this whole new cycle again. And then the, it, it works perfectly to Trump's advantage because the more stories there are about a potential tension, the more Mattis then has to say, no, no, I love Donald Trump. He's great. He's the best. He has to constantly profess his his loyalty. Uh, and I think that works to Trump's advantage because then you get people who are loyal to him. I mean, look at Brett Kavanaugh. He now has a Supreme Court justice who entirely owes his his confirmation to Trump, not just for picking him in the first place, but for sticking by him. And I, you know, I, I think for, it's For fair- sticking by him and for mocking Christine Blasey Ford, which kind of gave Republicans the excuse they needed to kind of come rally, not to bolt and to rally behind uh, uh, Kavanaugh. Right. Um, and but at the same time, in in terms of departures, it's everybody kind of takes for granted that Jeff Sessions is, is he's got three weeks left. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dead man walking. Yeah. Exactly. It's a good way of putting it. And maybe Rod Rosenstein, although that looks like it's mellowed out for now. But again, Donald Trump could just be saying, "I'm not going to do anything until after the midterms." Right. Well, the, uh, his profession of love. Suddenly, for Rod Rosenstein, this should not be taken too seriously. No, certainly not. And and again, it's a, it's a, a another um, perfect and, and maybe even more troubling example because Rod Rosenstein that's that should not be a politicized position. The Deputy Attorney General this is the person who's running the Department of Justice on a day to day basis. There's supposed to be a, a wall between the White House and the Department of Justice because he's you know overseeing criminal investigations, he's overseeing uh, investigations into public officials potentially Trump allies, potentially Trump businesses. So you, you need to have a clean separation there. And now Rosenstein has had to go to the White House. He's had to, you know, essentially profess his loyalty. What, what James Comey was talking about, I don't know that he t- took a pledge per se, but he has had to make sure that he gets on Donald Trump's good side. And this is the guy who's overseeing uh, the Russia I- investigation. Right. Um, so... Uh... <laughs> What topics, uh, going back to the political scene, what are the, we heard the various issues were going to be like the prominent issues this time. Uh, immigration was going to be like yeah. the big thing. Mm, doesn't really turn out to be. Medicare for all, uh, Brett Kavanaugh, 
um, the economy. What is it that's driving people? Or Trump? Is it just Trump? I think there's a huge disconnect between what uh, we talk about on Twitter, especially, and and I have to say cable news, too, and what I'm hearing from what the campaigns are actually talking about. And the number one issue, and the number two issue probably is healthcare uh, that people are, are running ads on. And they're going back to the Republican attempt to repeal the Affordable Care Act, pre-existing conditions. The pre-existing conditions thing is just radioactive. Uh, and and it's incredible to see. So how does it play radioactive? I mean, Donald Trump keeps saying we're going to protect everybody with pre-existing conditions. But I think Democrats have been pointing out that re- the Republican playbook has been to allow the insurance companies to go back to deny people with pre-existing conditions. Right. And there's even a lawsuit that's going on right now brought by a, a number of state attorney generals that would spe- it's specifically targeting the pre-existing condition. Republican attorney generals. Republican attorney yes, generals. Yes, right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's notable that Trump has, has clearly read the political wins and he's now saying, oh, no, no, we love protecting pre-existing conditions. We're not going to abandon that. But Democrats can make a very credible case that that's not true and that Republicans are, are trying to uh, get rid of it by by voting to repeal the It is Congress. funny that, uh, that, that I've said this before, but that Donald Trump has succeeded where Barack Obama could not, which is making Obamacare, in effect, popular. popular. Yes, ex- exactly. So much so that the same Republicans who ran in 2010 and got elected in the Tea Party wave on the message of this is socialized medicine, it's taking over, you got to elect me to stop this, to repeal this, are now saying we're going to fix, not not repeal. The repeal has just disappeared from the lexicon of Republicans running uh, for office this year. It's an incredible turnaround, and it shows where the where the, the, the political winds are. So you're, on that case, you're fighting on uh, Democratic turf. Republicans have tried to counter by making Medi- Medicare for all a big issue. Uh, they've been running ads on it. And I, I'm very interested to see how it plays. But by the way, that's playing pretty well, too, from what I can see. Yeah. You know, I keep talking about Gavin Newsom in California, as we know, who's not some wild-ass liberal, is running on Medicare for All. Andrew Gillum in Florida running on Medicare for All. You know? There's a lot of candidates in uh, – we did an analysis. We went through camp, the the 60 top House battlegrounds. We looked at their the, the websites of all, of every candidate. And something like 30% or so, like a third, uh, were running on Medicare for All. And these are generally Republican-held seats, Republican-leaning districts, and these are Democrats running on on, uh, Medicare for All. So, yeah, it it seems to be pretty popular. I think we haven't really had the national conversation about it. It hasn't set in stone. And and this election will help determine a lot of that because you have Republicans running ads. Uh, even attacking Democrats who are explicitly not for Medicare for All, saying they they Mm -hmm. support it. I, it doesn't seem to be working. The, is Kavanaugh proving to be an issue at all? I think Kavanaugh is not so much an issue as he is a motivator. It's it's the just like Trump. It's people don't you don't have to talk about him for it to affect uh, the 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 dynamic, the political landscape. Basically, Republicans have been kind of asleep this whole election cycle. Democrats have been really excited, and I think he's helped close the enthusiasm gap. Because if there's one thing that unites every Republican in the country, it's the Supreme Court. And uh, so you're, I think you're going to get a few more Republicans to vote, but even if they the don't like Donald time, Trump. It's <clears throat> it's done a lot to generate to generate even more enthusiasm on the Democratic side, particularly among women. Absolutely, correct? absolutely. I just wonder if Democrats had already kind of maxed out uh, what mm-hmm. they were going to get from from women. I mean, we're talking about you know suburban uh, women. I think it absolutely was a, was a jolt in the arm for them there. But uh, I don't know. You know, it, it might have been as as much as you can get. But the incredible thing to me on this is 
you, you can just watch Republican ads as they've shifted over the past year, and they jump from one topic to another to another. While Democrats have been hitting this healthcare pre-existing condition thing forever, which Demo- Republicans have been jumping around. It was first it was taxes, the economy, single payer. They're they're jumping all over the place. Which you know, if you're spending millions of dollars, you have a lot of data to inform what you're doing, and they know better than anyone whether those ads are working or not. And if you're jumping around constantly, that means your ads are not working, and they're still trying to figure out something. That will stick. It's interesting that you mentioned taxes because we remember last December they shoved through that tax bill because that was going to give them their whole platform right for 2018 that we passed these massive, massive, pass these massive tax cuts. Um, it didn't work in Pennsylvania 18, and basically they never talk about them anymore. It's it's it, incredible. Right? The, the I mean, one legislative accomplishment yeah, of, yeah. of the Trump era, they do not talk about. And it and it's a very easy their entire strategy was was ram this through and then point to the economy which is doing well right. and say we passed tax cuts the economy is doing well therefore you know we did that you're welcome yeah. now vote for us and that and that just has not happened and now what Democrats could say is yeah you passed these tax cuts and now we have the biggest deficit that we've had in the last six years right right massive deficit thanks to those tax cuts that you that you ran through. Um, boy, it's an interesting time. Lots going on. Alex Seitzwell, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, From bro. NBC, NBCnews.com, of course. You can follow Alex and all of our good friends there. Now, Tuesday, the rest of the day is yours, folks. Make the most of it and then come back and see us again tomorrow. This right here. We'll be looking for you. the Bill Press Show. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.